gratitude, um, specifically um, this four week series title, Gratitude in the Time of Corona, because this is not, you know, in a year of, of grief and exhaustion and anger and injustice and all kinds of things, it's kind of hard, I think, maybe to consider gratitude. Uh, and maybe even it feels like it's hurtful to those who are suffering to even suggest it sometimes, I think. Um, I just learned this morning that my virtual assistant's cousin has died of COVID. And so, you know, we think of stuff like that and we think, is it, is it even right to talk about being grateful? <laughs> but it's always right to talk about being grateful. Um, and how we stay anchored during difficult times and how we keep our relationships strong with God and with other people um, and how to honor the grief and not hide from it and not hide from our, our vulnerabilities. And we're gonna talk about all these things in the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about anxiety and grief and, and exhaustion. <laughs> but today we are going to talk about difficult relationships, I thought. Two days before the election, that's not a bad thing to maybe um, address. Um, Peter Scazzaro, the author of uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church, I watched a video of him talking about, about this season. And he said, the first question to be asking in times like this is, what is God doing? And we tend to focus on our feelings and our circumstances and sometimes our fears rather than this question. This is not the first question we ask typically when things are difficult, what is God doing? And I think next week I'm gonna go more into what I mean by that and what I don't mean by that. But um, this week we're talking about gratitude and hard relationships. And there are some pretty strong lines right now that people are drawing between churches, inside churches, inside families, inside friendships, and some people want to fight and take no prisoners, and other people want to say, hey, let's not, not, lock, bleh, not rock the boat, keep the peace, um, just be kind and not talk about hard things. And so where's the middle ground? You know, where do we, where do we find ourselves as believers? <clears throat> and I think another important thing to remember is that when we talk about things like this, there are big national social issues, but there are also personal and much smaller issues. And, and there are things that are done to us and the, to people that we love on a very personal level that are also unjust. And I wanna talk about both of those and make sure we understand that it's a both and, it's personal and it's communal. And so it's big and it's smaller and it all matters. <laughs> Uh, talk about some basic biblical guidelines and truths for handling difficult relationships. And the fact is that they're going to conflict. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now that we're going to talk about three of them and they are going to conflict. And that's why we have to talk about them and why we have to figure out, okay, how do we resolve this? Do we resolve this? Um, and what is the tensions? And it's not, you know, we can't put a simple Bible verse on the wall about loving one another and, and make it all right. But I've got three kind of controlling truths to wrestle through together. And the first one is that every person is an image of God. 
Yeah, we already did that. <laughs> every person, every human being is a beloved creation of God. Someone for whom Christ willingly gave his life, a human he wants to be reconciled to, and a person that he grieves over when they don't want to be reconciled. So that's the first basic controlling concept of how do we do relationships. And we got some Bible verses to go through there. Anybody want to read these? There are three of them. I can read. Genesis. <clears throat> 127. <clears throat> so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You want me to keep reading? If you like. The three short eight. ones. Okay. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Psalm 36, five and seven. <clears throat> Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. <clears throat> Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. So those are three quick verses that kind of give us the background. Of, you know, every human is created in God's image and every human is a, is a creation he loves. That whole last sentence, all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. That just is so powerful when we think about First of all, what everybody's going through, but second of all, all humanity, like he cares for every single human being and he wants to give them shelter and he doesn't want them separated from his love. <clears throat> and then the last thing is, is a C.S. Lewis quote that's pretty famous. That's always been one of my favorites. When he says it's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities and that is that every human being is immortal. That's what he says beginning. In light of these possibilities, it is with awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Every human being is, is an immortal soul. It's not ordinary. And so if you put that together with, with those verses in this first, um, this first point, every human being is the image of God. Then we've got a couple questions to kind of pull that together. How does that inform how we see other people? If we are in conflict with another person, what foundation does this lay for us to use in our interactions with them?
Like everybody went dark and silent. I don't know if it's me or you. Is anybody there <laughs> other than Molly? <laughs> you hear me? I can hear you. Um, when, so I don't know when you were speak when, when you first said what today's was about and began speaking earlier this morning, it made me think of, um, with, with, the election in a couple of days, you know, I, we all have friends who believe differently. Um, you know, I have a, a, a friend at work, one of the people I work with, who I think we agree on a lot of things. She'd like to try our church and things like that. But at the same time, and I can only assume it's because she's gotten a lot of flack, is she was very... Um, argumentative or I guess aggressive in a way that she said um, she said well I'm voting for Trump and anybody that doesn't like it I don't care and I was like okay she goes I think anyone that's Christian would be voting that way it's the only Christian choice which I said well I don't really agree with that but you're certainly allowed to to feel that way I'm not going to condemn you because maybe we don't agree on a political candidate mm -hmm. that's crazy and then a customer came in and, and nothing went on further, but it was just so, I don't know. It just kind of came out of the blue. And I feel like we need to remember that even people who have the same faith that we do, we're going to look at things in different ways and, and not rise to that argument when it's presented in such a way, because, you know, we're all a family, especially if we're all Christians, we're, we're a family together. And whether or not we agree with politics or crazy things like that, I think it's very important to remember that we're each equally loved. Does that make sense? So just because our brains don't work on exactly the same way, doesn't make us not still loved by God and hopefully loved by each other if we can make it happen that way. I don't know. I sort of went off on a tangent because I just kept thinking about it and I'm like, <laughs> why did you want me to argue? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the last thing you said is in line with what the verses we read. If you look at her as another person loved equally by God, I mean, you have to grapple with that and you have to understand the truth of that and vice versa.
<laughs> Maybe we'll save that for point two. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when it says in the Bible that you are beloved, that you were known before, you know, you were created in Psalm 139, um, it doesn't just mean you. It means every you ever created. <laughs> and we have to always keep that in mind. And it means... It means that person with the awful posts on Facebook or the racist uncle or the person who stole your promotion or the parent who wasn't, you know, the person he or she should have been um, or the spouse you're not getting along with in quarantine. <laughs> They're all equally beloved and every single person is equally beloved and we can't, we can't escape that when it's more convenient not to think about that. <laughs> we have to start from the place of the next, the next verses. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. <clears throat> so how does all of that inform us or teach us, not yet, <laughs> the place we need to start from when we interact with other people? Assuming the best and assuming okay. and not holding past wrongs against them. Oh, this yeah. This is the classic question of what's the difference between boundaries and um, cynicism, I guess. Yeah, continue. <laughs> Well, I don't know what the answer is because like specifically in this passage, you know, we've all heard love is patient, love is kind, yada, yada. But the one that always stands out to me is like, it keeps no record of being wronged. Um, which like on the one hand, if you want to use it within the concept of marriage, because this is often used in the concept of marriage. Although it's not written that way. Although it's not <laughs> written that way. Yes, I'm aware. I know. Um, but everyone isn't. That's true. Um, if you use it in the concept of any relationship, we'll just say, um, then it does kind of create the um, ideal of not going into any relationship with like, well, you know, last time we talked about this and um, we all know that that can cause problems and resentment. Um, but yeah, like if you're in a relationship with an unhealthy person who continually doesn't change anything, um, what is the difference between not bringing those hurts to a new argument and not, and, and keeping yourself healthy? Excellent question. 
you have found the conflict. <laughs> Yay. Well, and then like, I don't know, like I know when I approach certain people that I know that a topic can be toxic <laughs> or very, um, like we obviously don't see things eye to eye. I tend to just avoid that topic, but I don't know if that's the best answer either. You keep avoiding it, then what kind of relationship can you really have with a person? <laughs> Yeah. Right. If you can't feel comfortable talking about even the things that you don't agree on. So I don't know the answer to that either. Well, and also, Denise, I'm going to like totally take on some of this conversation. <laughs> You're going to have to be louder with that mask on. Yeah. Also, Denise, um, I, and this is kind of going back to the comment that I was going to make earlier um, when Molly said, what, what was it that you said about we all have to think the same or something? We don't all no. have to think the same. We don't all have to think the same. And, and like, I think that is part of the problem and part of the problem why we're in our bubbles and stuff is because of what Denise said. Like, we don't want to have that conflict. We don't want to bring up those discussions with people that we know disagree with us. And so we just kind of pretend that it's not there. And so you continually get the beliefs of um, the people you agree with instilled in you, and you you think, okay, well, this must this is the only option, um, and it, it it creates bubbles, and also I think it creates a single mind mentality because it doesn't allow for nuanced conflicts. Right. I don't know. Sometimes I also like, if you really like the person or you really want to continue to have a relationship, you kind of want to bypass some of those ugly parts because yeah. other parts are like, I really like you, but I kind of don't like you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like you when, you're, when you're this way, this way, this way, this way, but I really don't like you when this comes out of you. <laughs> I say you like hundred percent like somebody that's probably really close to idolatry like there are like most of my friends there's definitely things in them where I'm like yeah that bothers me but you just they're humans so yeah it comes down to find that person I'm oh, sorry go ahead we don't leave room in our relationships for having any discourse either you agree with me which is good, or you disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, that means something must be fundamentally wrong with you. And that's not the case. Um, intelligent people can have different opinions for different reasons, different experiences. And uh, we have to be able to say, okay, you're a human, I'm a human, we can disagree on this, but we have to figure out if it's something central to our relationship, we have to figure out how to go forward with this and not demonize the other person. Yeah. And I think it's, a, it's an important thing to also remember that as we say this and we're talking about people who we know in our lives, we have to remember that there are things about ourselves that are disliked or felt of as flaws by even people, you know, in the same 
family or in the same church family. I mean, we have, you know, things that are not liked as, as well. And I think that's one of the important things to remember from the verse in the verses in Corinthians that, um, those aren't held against us either if we're truly loved and if we remember that by definitely by god that you know when we're working on ourselves and there are things about ourselves that we don't like that we think are ugly he loves us just as much on the days when those parts of us come out as he does on the days when you know everything is all hearts and flowers and we're you know out giving to the poor and doing all all of the things that we think makes us the good parts of ourselves he doesn't love us anymore on those days he loves us the same equally he may not like some of the things that we don't like about ourselves but that love doesn't change so as we're thinking about the people and those relationships and how do we not make them crash and burn because of taking offense or whatever to something we don't like about another person we have to always remember there are just as many things wrong with ourselves and maybe not even wrong, just disagreed with by other people that we like. So there, there needs to be, um, I, I guess that's where courtesy and consideration and things like that come in because we are not all the same and we don't think all the same and that's not wrong unless we're thinking so far from what Jesus is teaching. You know, sometimes it's just what's more important uh, coming back to the politics, which are the, you know, we like Jill, you, you, the refugees and, you know, someone else, maybe the homeless and someone else, the drug addicted. And we all have our, our things that touch our hearts more. And that's what makes us different. And that's what makes us able to put our energies and and use those boundaries because we're putting our energies towards what's most important but all of that can create conflict if somebody says well how can you vote for this person because he said or did this and then someone else says well how can you vote for this other person because he said or did this and that's all based on our own feelings and our own what is the most important to us and that all comes from being individuals that's that's how the world's supposed to work if we all have our our different conflicts and our different uh, pieces that are wrong with the world that pull on our hearts that we want to put energy into trying to fix. That's how it all gets done. Cause not one person can, can do it all, but we just have to remember it's in ourselves as well. Things that other people don't like. And I think that's probably where some of the humbleness needs to come from in dealing with people that we don't agree with all the time as well. You know what? There's probably some things that they don't agree with with you either, and they're not wrong either. So, you know, we can all say that, but we always have to remember that we're not the most self-righteous either. We all make mistakes too. Yeah. And Molly you, what? Molly found the perfect question. No, Molly found number three. You found number two. Molly found number three. No, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, but and and we will get to everything that both of you have said and in points two and three, but uh, I'm trying to 
I know because she's our guest. Yes. That's. Oh, I see. You have to admit her. Is she having problems getting in? Did you send her the link? Okay. Um, yeah, the, the back again to the first Corinthians love. Uh, I lost my train of thought because I'm trying to talk to our guest on Facebook. <laughs> love God. <laughs> we go back to that foundation that, yeah, a lot of the times when we disagree with people, we automatically make it personal and it's like, oh, they don't like me because they don't agree with me. And, and maybe honestly, we don't like each other, but we love each other. And that's the foundation we have to go back to, that that is fundamental to who we are. Um, <laughs> that we choose, you know, it says, <coughs> that Corinthians passage talks about love as a choice, not as this feeling that we have that we choose to honor, we choose to forgive. Um, and it is the foundation we look at other people with because um, 1 John 4, 7 tells us anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And that's pretty hard to get around if we don't want to love other people. And, and I struggle with that. I struggle with, with um, you know, as, as Emily was saying, I struggle with forgetting and giving people the benefit of the doubt. But that's kind of what love does. So, so are we tracking on that so far? Sometimes, as we have found already, sometimes this seems to conflict with other things and with other things in scripture. And then we come to the second truth, which is that every person we meet could also be the victim of another person that human beings don't always do right things. We love them, we give them the benefit of the doubt, and sometimes they're just flat, not nice. And then what do we do? Remember the last line of that C.S. Lewis quote, it is, he said, it is immortals whom we exploit. So we have to reckon with that too. It's not just immortal people we love and play with and marry and work with. It is an immortal human being if we are harming another person. And that's a serious thing too. And we've got a lot of stuff that we already covered from the prophets and Moses who absolutely agreed that oppressing, exploiting, deliberately hurting other people is terrible in God's eyes. Um, and God has a lot to say about it. We're gonna look through another couple of verses, Isaiah and Amos. Anybody wanna take those two? Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Amos 5, 15, 21, and 24. Hey, evil and love what is good. Hey, <laughs> just because I moved my arm, really? 
The cat's responding to hating evil. <laughs> okay, just a second. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your turn your courts into true halls of justice. I hate all your shows of, and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Nope, just those two. I was gonna say, I only preach two. That's not in the job description. <laughs> so here's the question. How do we put these together? How does knowing every person is an image of God and yet some of God's images deliberately hurt other images of God. How do we reconcile that? How do we still love every person if some people are hurting other people? I mean, it's easy to blame systems for that and absolve ourselves, but systems are run by people and people make choices. And some of those choices are evil. So how do we reconcile these two things? Question of the ages. I think that's extremely hard. And I kind of think that that's, um, you know, a lot of um, who you are and how your personality is also, I think, comes to play. You know, if you're that flexible person, if you're that person who just, you know, easygoing or, you know, <clears throat> um, sees the glass half full, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it, it's kind of maybe a little bit easier for that type of person than a person that's strong-minded, strong-willed. They always have to be right. Um, and then if you, you know, uh, merge that with a person who's a non-believer, holy cow. <laughs> like, that's a whole other... So it's hard. It's a lot of, like, I don't know, talking and trying to, in a roundabout way or a non-combative uh, way, um, state what you believe. And then like, I, know, I tend to say, all right, we'll just agree to disagree then. <laughs> and you kind of touch that topic again later. I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> what I'm saying? That's a normal response. And I think it's also important to remember that a belief and an action is not the whole of what makes up a person. I mean, I can think back on things that I've said or done and I'm not happy with or proud of. And I would hate to be the whole of me judged on that one action or that one belief. Um, you know, and again, like Denise said, when you throw in non-believers, you know, my cousin I talk to every week and we have a lot of fun and we spend hours together on Saturday nights now on FaceTime. Um, but she's not a Christian. She would never call herself a Christian. She considers herself agnostic on a good day. Um, and she's very unforgiving about a lot of things and very strong-willed and very strong-minded. And I don't agree with everything. And for the most part, we don't get into those. I try, I think a big part of our friendship is I, if, if it needs a response, it's oftentimes trying to temper and saying, well, you know, you don't know what this person lived through. You don't know whatever, but then it's also her reminding me of some things like in making decisions or actually she's just more well-read than me. She scours everything on the internet. She can find anything out, 
<laughs> so I guess I lean on her more for information, but, um, you know, that's, that's just our relationship. It doesn't stop me from loving her. It doesn't stop her from being one of my friends or anything, one of my closest friends. So the, the belief and the action does not make the whole of a, I guess, of a soul, not even just a person, you know, we've, we all change and grow and hopefully grow into more responsible or more mature, more forgiving, but, you know, disagreeing with, with one thing or two things or a way a certain person is, is different from choosing not to love one another. Um, we just have to remember to hold our ground where we feel that it's something wrong and, and not kind of get swept up with that. You know, you don't want the money. Oh, we're getting... <laughs> Wait, we're getting... Because, okay. so I'm going to use the very first of these things, but um, we are not finished beings. And so, yeah, Molly, you're allowed to like say something at 20 and then change your mind at 30. Oh um, gosh, I hope so. <laughs> like, you know, the whole point of the human experience is to continually be changed by um, the people around us, the truths that we learn over time. Like if if I thought that I was done at 16, I would be very screwed. Um and and so like yes, there is something to be said for like knowing what you're going to stand for and what you aren't like as a christian we do believe that there are certain fundamental truths um but i think beyond that the whole point is a to be willing to listen to the other side um and to be willing to debate um which is a skill that is very very lost these days and then secondly to be willing to be wrong and how to do that gracefully because we are not good at being wrong <laughs> as somebody who is very wrong good at not who is not who is very not good at being wrong um so i think like i both agree and disagree with what you said but we're still friends and on that note we are going to do some listening um, to some things that might be hard to hear and some things that um, on this topic that I have invited a guest to come speak to us. So everybody say hello to Marissa. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. Let me readjust this. Ah, there we go. How are you, Jill? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Good. We're hitting the nail on the head with this conversation today. Um, I'm a little discombobulated <laughs> coming in. Um, lots of distractions this week. And part of why this is hitting the nail on the head this week is because um, I just got off a phone call with my mom who hit one of these kind of moments, these uh, conversations that are hard to meet halfway, right, with some family members who have some very differing political views um, in this moment and um, just trying to talk her through that. Um, lots of anxiety, 
lots of self-doubt and questioning. <laughs> um, and, and it's hard. It's really hard. So. so I asked Marissa to join us this morning because I wanted us to hear what it feels like um, to be specifically a person of color in the atmosphere today and to hear white Christians talk about um, let's not rock the boat. Let's, let's back off from these hard conversations. Let's live and let live. And, you know, how does that feel to you? It hurts, quite honestly. It's hurtful um, because these aren't issues that are uh, superficial to our lives. Like there are opinions that are openly spouted um, and that have been held onto and uh, practices in our churches that directly discriminate, um, whether implicitly or, or on purpose, um, against people like me simply because of the skin I'm in, right? Um, and so it's hurtful to say, like, I know you've been uncomfortable here for a really long time, but you wanting to talk about this is making me uncomfortable in this moment. So let's just let's just hit the pause. We can, uh, we can, we can all be okay here, right? Is really what, what is being said. But what I am saying is I haven't been okay here in a really long time. And when you don't want to acknowledge it, I have to question um, that love thing that Jesus keeps talking about that we're supposed to do. What does that really look like? What does that really feel like? Um, and is this a space, if you're telling me I don't wanna talk about the fact that you're uncomfortable, um, is that really reflecting the love that Jesus asks us to have for one another? Thank you, Marissa. I know that's sometimes hard to say. <laughs> um, especially with people you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you all are welcome to, you know, talk and ask questions too. Um, yeah. So how, how do you see this whole concept of loving your enemies and loving other people, no matter what, working out alongside the second point of, wait, what happens when those people are harmful? Yeah. How do you see that, I guess, working out for you? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, so boundaries, right? <laughs> boundaries become really, really important. Um, and, and in what ways I'm allowing um, wh what it is that I embrace in my space, um, what it is that I... I allow to come in and, and what parts I share and what parts I don't share. Um, because, you know, for me, like the, that, right. I think Jesus said it was the greatest commandment, right? Something he was pretty specific <laughs> <laughs> about what he thought was most important. 
Um, and that is loving God with everything you've got, right? Because that empowers you to do the second part, which is um, to love everyone else the way that you love yourself. Um, and so, you know, it's finding that balance between how I love myself, empowering how I love others, right? Um, and sometimes how I love myself means that I create boundaries differently for people who don't love me the way that I would, that I love them or expect to be loved. That whole golden rule thing, right? Uh, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And so I'm somebody who often like overextends the benefit of the doubt. Um, but eventually, you know, once it gets to a place where I've learned that they don't treat me the way that I treat them, then I may put some boundaries in place um, to protect my heart. And that does not mean that I disrespect. That does not mean that you are shut out. That does not mean, it just means that there might be things that I don't share with you at this point because it's not safe for me to share. Um, there may be, you know, a, a lack of openness, um, you know, Here's an example, a way that I do that. So um, I don't know how much backstory Jill has given you about who I am. Um, none. Okay. I said so, that you were an ordained woman, free Methodist woman in New York. That's all they know. Yes, in <laughs> central, very rural New York. Um, and I was serving as an associate pastor at a, at a church nearby. And I grew up, though, in um, inner city Syracuse, very different. Um, I grew up going to schools and churches that were very diverse because my parents were super intentional about that. Um, when I moved out here, um, it is not very diverse. It is the opposite of that. <laughs> and, um, and that was the same in the church that I was serving at. And as things became really amplified um, in 2016, um, I found a really great tool on Facebook <laughs> called Snooze. <laughs> and, and I started using the Snooze button. I didn't unfriend. I would snooze because it was like, I need to be able to look at you and smile and give you a hug on Sunday. I need to be able to like you on Sunday. Not even like you, because there's some people I just don't like, but I need to be able to love you. <laughs> I need to be able to show you um, God's grace. I need to be able to model what, what mercy looks like. Um, and so sometimes it's easier for me to do that if I don't know. <laughs> if I don't know, um, you know, and that didn't mean that I don't have the conversation. There have been plenty of times where I've had those conversations. I've had the tough conversations. Um, but if your response to that is not to take that into account um, and doesn't result in a change of spirit, then I need to create some boundaries. And that means like, I don't want to see that on my wall. <laughs> Whenever I check in with people, I do want to see what they're up with. I don't want to have to face that like trigger and disappointment. I don't want to have to like try and fake it when I do see you face to face because I've been hurt or disappointed or 
you know, so that that's one example of a boundary maybe that that I, I have used and put in place with with some relationships. It's like, I just, I can't see that about you. Mm -hmm. I, I have said a couple of times, I can love my own family better if I don't see their Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have to say that I did not know there was a snooze on Facebook, so I've definitely learned something. Oh, this week. My, <laughs> oh my gosh. How do you survive? It is of Jesus itself. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember to go on Facebook very often. <laughs> There's that. And when I do, I don't often even scroll my wall. I'm going to like see pictures of new pictures from Halloween of my granddaughter. I might have done that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and that's what we want to see, right? So we're trying to curate a safe space to yeah. um, to engage with with folks and see folks from afar that we wouldn't necessarily get to see on a day to day. Um, and so, yeah, we have a right. <laughs> is when you were talking earlier, especially even in the beginning, because it sounds like it came from a very difficult conversation that you had to have. As I even, I turned to Jamie and my husband, I said, oh my gosh, I just want to reach out and give her a hug, this stupid Facebook, or this stupid <laughs> New York, I wouldn't have been able to do that anyway. So consider yeah. yourself even a virtual hug. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything you all would like to ask, Marissa? I, I have other questions, but if, is there anything that you're thinking? Um, I have something. So something that is difficult for me is um letting things go <laughs> um so so like you know if and, and also like gossip so if somebody tells you something about something that they saw on somebody else's wall and you're like oh I want to go see it even though I know it's going to make me mad um so like are there ways that you have learned to like acknowledge something and then let it continue away yeah um so i'd go to two two different areas of scripture in those cases so one would be um I'm, of course the chapter me on the citations right um matthew one is 18 where he talks about how you how you address your brother or sister um when there is conflict, right? And so the first step is to go and have that private one-on-one -on -one conversation. If it's something that's really hurting your heart or has really got you angry or, and I try and start those conversations with Grace and say, hey, I saw this thing, I heard this thing, I, I might have gotten it wrong, but this is what I saw. This is how it made me feel. And I wanna talk about that. Um, and then the next step in that, um, if it's repeated, if the offense is repeated, um, is to ask, ask a mediator to kind of help, somebody that you know um, can be objective and where there's not gonna be somebody taking sides to come and have that conversation. Um, but the other thing I go to is where Jesus talks about shaking the dust from your feet there are those moments where it's like i'm not i'm not going to win this one i've done the the, the matthew 18 thing um that's not going to change and so 
I'm not saying like if a conversation doesn't go the way that you think it should, that you should walk away. What I am saying is that he gave that, that description of dusting your feet of, you know, I am sending two of you to go and bear my message. And if you go into that place and they are receptive, even if they don't agree, but want to have the conversation, then okay, you stay and you have the conversation. But if you go and you bear my message and you are rejected and they shut it down and like, oh, get out of here with that. Then you dust your feet, you walk off. You don't invest your time in spaces um, where there is, where they've created their set boundary, right? Where they're like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want you. And that doesn't mean it comes without love or without the attempt to cross that. But if they've made it very known, like, this is where I stand and I'm not budging from that, then, you know, you have a choice to make in that. And you can either handle it with, with grace um, and with mercy and with humility and say, this might be, and that takes a lot of prayer in discerning whether that's one of those spaces or not, or if you engage. So a lot of what I currently do in ministry um, it's kind of having these kind of conversations. A big one right now is around race, right? Um, the, the raising the awareness on, on what race really means and how it impacts different people's day-to-day -day lives in different ways. And we need to be aware of that. Um, and one of the folks that I, I really watch and listen to is Latasha Morrison. She's founder of Be The Bridge. Um, and she is consistently emphasizing, like, don't put your energy and invest in that spaces, in those spaces that don't want to have the conversation. You know, if, if they're like, the wall is up, I've drawn the line, and this is where I stand. My, my job is not to convince you otherwise. My job is to be here when you're having the question saying, oh, maybe I built my wall wrong, or I'm not sure I should build a wall here, you know? Um, and so that's where I choose to invest is those folks who want to have the conversation. Not to say that those are any easier or any less hurtful, um, but there's a willingness and a wantingness to, to engage. Um, and so that's where I put my energy. Was that helpful? <laughs> yeah, it was. But okay. it's in some way, I'm hearing, also hearing though from the beginning of this conversation that for those of us who are not as impacted, perhaps we should be pushing harder and, and a little more willing to engage because yeah. we're not, we're not yeah. the ones that are being hurt. Um, yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I'm one of those hot button words, right? Privilege <laughs> um, becomes part of the conversation. And, you know, particularly we hear pushback a lot around the, the term white privilege. What does that mean? You know, just because I'm white doesn't mean that I've had it easy. And that's not, that's not what the term is saying. It's really just saying that there are obstacles you won't face because of your skin color that others do face. Um, and so as Christ followers, who did, who did Christ always speak for? Who did he always stand up for? He always stood up for the marginalized. 
Um, he always stood up for the disenfranchised. He always stood up for those that were being treated as less than in society. And so when you have a, an opportunity to mirror Christ in that way, and you call yourself a Christ follower, there becomes an obligation to engage in those opportunities um, to speak up and say, you know, that's not right. And, and that, that starts with kind of a, a personal inventory, right? And, and doing some of that, um, doing some of that learning work. Um, there are all sorts of resources. <laughs> um, and, and even, you know, as a person of color, I've had to do a lot of that work. You know, I can't, I can't just jump into a conversation and think, you know, I know all the history that goes into, you know, some of the feelings that we, we see in here. Um, but the privilege comes in the fact that there's, you know, there's spaces that um, you know that you have an influence in. And when you have an influence them, whether it's your family circle or your circle of friends or your church circle, you, you have a place that you can speak into and help create some of the change that Jesus would change, change if he were, if he were here, if he were in that, in that same space. Um, so, you know, I, I really encourage doing, doing some of that kind of work. I know a lot of people kind of hesitate. In, in taking that up because you feel like, well, I don't know enough. I don't know the history. I don't, I don't know. And really for me, I don't feel like you have to know that. What you have to know is what God called us to do, right? That the greatest commandment. <laughs> um, and so what does that look like? You know, the golden rule, what does that look like in practice? Um, if I see somebody who's not being treated the way that I would want to be treated, do I say something? Do I do something? Do I intercede? Um, if, if I hear conversation with my friends and family that tells me that maybe if I were in the room with them when one of these things happen, I might have to stand up. Maybe you have that conversation there, you know, when it's in a safer space or after the fact, if you've been witness to, um, you know, you do the Mike or the Matthew 18 thing and say, Look, can we talk about that? That made me really uncomfortable, and and here's why. Um, you know, there's we each, whether we acknowledge it or not, have a circle that we have influence in. Doesn't matter how big or small it is. We each have a circle that we have influence in, um, and and that's a gift, really. It's a gift that we we have access to be able to create change, big or small. Can I ask, who was the person that you said you've been following a lot lately? Oh, uh, Latasha Morrison. She's the founder of Be the Bridge. I can give you a whole slew. <laughs> um, but she, her, the work that they do is really accessible. Um, so you can join the Be the Bridge Facebook page. Um, if you're looking to do some of that learning work, you can join um, the Be the Bridge Facebook group. Um, and that has, so when you join the Facebook group, it is a private group and it has curated learning units that kind of take you through um, understanding the, the racial divide in, in our country. Um, it's, it's really helpful. It's really helpful. So those are two good, like real starter resources. And she, I mean, she wrote a book 
called Be the Bridge. <laughs> um, so that's a good starting point too. Um, but the I like to start with her. She's really, her resources are very good on ramp. They're mm -hmm. accessible, approachable. Um, she, it is from a Christian point of view. Um, yeah, I, I, I recommend that. I can get that information out of the yeah. I wrote it. I, I had a question. Um, and it, I, I don't know, maybe I should wait to ask it until I get it, until I get the words more figured out in my mind. But um, the people, you know, the rest of my church family here, they all know that I have a cousin who is one of my best friends, but is not a believer. And comes from, um, but when it, when it comes to talking about these, these kinds of hard things about race or about um, some of the other big issues. Uh, one of the issues she has, not so much race, but with some of the, the other issues of today between Republicans and Democrats. And um, she has a son who's transgender and, and some of those things mm -hmm. um, is one of the reasons she really doesn't have any interest in me trying to convert her shall we say but um but we both feel exactly the same on some of these other things that you know why is race an issue um her daughter is i mean she's white her daughter is dating um a black man and has learned a lot more than probably any of the rest of us in the family from his teachings and has gone to a lot of the peaceful protests with him and has not gone to some of them because he said, no, you won't be safe. Um, don't come to this. And so what would you say is a way of, how do I ask this? You're a pastor. She is not a Christian. I am a Christian. We both feel the same way about these racial issues that we don't understand enough because we don't, have those experiences, but we're learning. Um, what would you tell, would the, um, you said that this Latasha Morrison is, is coming from a Christian standpoint, but are there other resources as well that like, for example, she and I could reach out to and discuss together where she wouldn't feel like I was pushing her in, into a, a way to look at it from my faith-based standpoint, but just how to make a difference, how to have those conversations. Our family, I wouldn't say, I mean, I don't know. We are the, the holdouts in our family as well. We'll just leave it at that <laughs> in many ways. Um, and, and don't agree with, you know, her, her brother is a state representative, um, a Republican um, for this area. And she sees a lot of the politics and she sees a lot of the things that just make her sick. Um, and then tells me, cause we talk every week <laughs> for hours. Yeah. So I would just ask, you know, do you, where, where do we go for the list of resources? Not only faith-based. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just starting. Um, you know, you can hit hit Google. Actually, my part of my journey started with a book called White Fragility. I know that's another hot topic word, right? Um, it's not faith based. It is a book for white people by white people, kind of explaining how we got to where we are. Um, 
but I also wouldn't shy away from Be The Bridge. I can tell you, I was, I, when I started uh, training as a facilitator with Be The Bridge, there were non-believers in, in the training classes who remarked like, eh, I was really hesitant because this is a Christian organization, but I didn't feel beat over the head with it. And if anything, um, you know, in the community, organizing work that I, I have done and the engagement that I have with, with the community outside of the church. Um, when they hear my, my perspective on what it means to be a Christian, they're just kind of like, wow, I hadn't heard it like that before. I might, I might be interested in church or I might, if I had heard it like that. And really for me, the root is, is, I mean, it's, it's a couple of things, but if you start right at the beginning at Genesis, right, that the creation story, we each and every single one of us, believer or not, you don't have to be a believer, um, to have been created in God's image, every single one of us. So whether you believe you are created in his image or not, doesn't really matter because you are, right? Um, so that informs the way that I treat people because it means that there is not one, not one transgender, black, woman, male, white, none of that, that gives me the right to treat you as any less than the person standing next to me or to you it doesn't give me the right to treat you any less than I expect to be treated, that I hope to be treated, right? We go to that golden rule again. The command, the, the greatest commandment says, love God with everything you've got and then love your neighbor as yourself. If we look at stories like the Good Samaritan where Jesus defines who the neighbor is, the neighbor is anybody that you cross paths with, right? So there's, there's, and I, I have yet to really find too many examples, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jill, where, where Jesus treats anybody less than, where he buys into those social structures that were put into place to say, okay, well, you're over there. If anything, that's right where he went to, right? Um, so when, when your faith is informed not by what you shouldn't do, but by what we are called to do, um, it creates a whole different conversation. And where we're called to go. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna, um, we're running over, but I don't care because this is really important. <laughs> Um, but we are gonna we're gonna go to we talked about boundaries and I want to go to just a few verses uh, that kind of speak to that and I want you I'm putting on my English teacher hat again I want you to pay attention to the the verbs you hear um, as far as how we are to treat people we disagree with or people who actually try to hurt us even um, they are coming up. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Or another version says, wish only good for those who treat you badly. Ask God to bless them, not to curse them. 
Here's a fun one. Exodus 23, whenever you see that the donkey of someone you ha who hates you has collapsed under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure to help him with his animal. If you ever come in that problem. <laughs> Proverbs 24, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Job 31, have I ever rejoiced when disaster struck my enemies or become excited when harm came their way? No, I have never sinned by per cursing anyone or asking for revenge. And Luke 6, but I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who are cruel to you. This tension of love versus justice is a tension in God's very character because he loves and he is just. And they must go together. Don't do that yet. <laughs> they have to go together. So what do those verses say? And maybe more importantly, what do they not say about how we treat those with whom we have difficulty or who might even be harmful? What verb did you hear? <laughs> Is it how do we do that? What was, how did you phrase the question? How, um, what do these, those verses say? And maybe what do they not say about how we are to treat those we have difficulty with? What verbs did you hear? One of the verbs I heard was like, well there was a lot of rejoice but it was yeah. with the not before it so don't rejoice I, that struck out to me because that's where i i think struggle don't gloat or rejoice or curse when somebody <laughs> you don't like has trouble i have to admit i i have trouble with that on a bigger scale not like with friends but like with yeah. politics and things like that. I really struggle with that. It's the way of the universe. I heard bless them, do good for them, pray for them, love them. All difficult, but true. What maybe did you hear them not saying when we talk about boundaries? That kind of a difficult question, but. Well, to continue the metaphor with the donkey, it doesn't say like you're supposed to stand by and watch your neighbor put too much weight on the donkey or like tell them that they're doing that or anything like they're responsible for their own actions. It's just when you later see them in need of help that you just help. Okay. So not, not making yourself be present in their lives more than necessary. And I think you said something important there. I mean, don't let them keep harm, don't help them harm the donkey. 
<laughs> Don't help them harm the donkey. There you go. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, I mean, that goes along with um, a thought that I was just kind of having. I mean, nowhere does it say that, you know, they have that any person or anything have to conform to your expectations before you are supposed to love them. Yeah. Um, so. It also says to bless them, but it doesn't say that you have to go and spend all your time with them either. It doesn't say that you have to give and give and give to your enemies at the detriment of your family or your health or your friends or your loved ones. I mean, it, it says to bless them does not say that you give mm -hmm. time and attention to those who are your enemies. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say, I mean, it says bless and forgive. It doesn't say, I'll let everything slide or let them hurt you repeatedly. I mean, those are boundaries that are biblical. It doesn't, God doesn't tell us that we need to do that to our detriment or to the detriment of the donkey. <laughs> Um, I, just, uh, I just finished a TV show that I'm not going to name in case people want to see it, but um, there was like this huge rift between the two best friend characters, and while I was watching it, I got really annoyed at the character who kept trying to reconcile, because I'm like, this other person just like stabbed you in the back and did all of these terrible things afterward, why are you trying to reconcile? But in this discussion now, I'm realizing like she never went out of her way to reconcile. It was always when the ex-best friend like threatened things that she loved or like um, came into her, you know, area or things like that, that she said, hey, like, let's talk through this and stuff like that, which I think is a, a good point because yeah i was really mad the entire time i'm like put your freaking boundaries up woman but i think she did i think she did she just also refused to accept that her friend could not come back i guess um yeah anyway i think we have to remember i mean it, we are told to love and to bless and pray for we must remember that in scripture, actively loving someone and blessing them does not mean we're making life easy for them. I mean, it made me think of my dad after my mom died, loving him was sometimes taking away his car keys because he was drunk and could not drive. That was love, but it was not easy. <laughs> and he didn't like it. <laughs> So sometimes that's the kind of love we have for other people. And we have to remember that too. And remembering that it starts with empathy, being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to last point and the point that Molly kind of got us to early, way earlier. Yay! You and I are the victims of someone's hurt, and sometimes we are the perpetrators. And that's just truth. That we're not always the innocent party. And as Molly was saying before, 
um, you know, there's stuff in us that, that other somebody else is not going to like. <laughs> and that's hard to think about. And sometimes it's hard to remember. Um, and I think one of the things for me that really helps when I'm dealing with people who I just strongly disagree with and struggle with is it helps for me to look at them as people who are usually afraid of something. And that's kind of a universal feeling. And so how does that fear drive them to do what they do that I think is awful? Um, and maybe sometimes my fears do the same thing. Maybe sometimes the things I'm afraid of drive me to do things that are dumb or bad or things, you know, and, um, and so I can look at somebody else's lostness and fears and I can think, man, they don't know the love and the joy that they could be living in instead of fear. And that, that makes me sad and that makes me somehow, makes them more human to me. Um, it makes me more compassionate. I can see how privileged I am to not have that, um, to not be that afraid, to not be that angry. And so it helps me to see that. Does that, does that make sense so far? This whole, the love and the justice thing, both personal and corporate, they're in balance. And they should be in balance because they're two sides of God's personality, love and mercy and justice. And they have to balance because they are who God is. And so they kind of have to balance in our lives too. We can't, we can't love other people without caring about the justness of how God's images are treated. And at the same time, we can't fight for justice without loving our enemies. <laughs> We've got to have both. And, and as we, we move into communion this morning, um, that's what Jesus did when he handed Judas the bread. And he said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. I think a lot of the times we're used to thinking of ourselves as John, the beloved sitting next to Jesus, but sometimes we are Judas, the betrayer. And we have to come all of us to terms with that, that I am both beloved and betrayer. And I have to live in that tension. And maybe that makes it easier to look at other people that way um, with compassion and understanding so I want to spend a couple minutes going to communion this morning, but having a, a time of prayer, um, of confession. So let's pray together. Lord, we pray to you that there are times we confess we have not loved sufficiently. We have not cared enough. We have looked the other way when things were unjust, and we have betrayed your love for us. And Father, there have been times we refuse to forgive. And yet you call us your beloved. And yet you give us your body and your blood broken for us. We confess these things to you, Father, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to do better. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.